You are listening to the Well and Simple Podcast with your host, Marissa Zabo. Hello and welcome back to the Well and Simple Podcast. My name is Marissa Zabo and I am your host. And this episode is being posted on St. Patrick's Day. So if you're listening on St. Patrick's Day, happy St. Patrick's Day to you. Usually a really big deal in the Boston area. Everybody in Boston is Irish on St. Patrick's Day, but hi, COVID-19. So it's really not the big deal that it typically is this year. It wasn't last year either, but I am teaching a themed fitness class this morning and I will be wearing my festive leggings for that. I have quite the collection of holiday themed leggings. Um, so that'll be a little bit, a little bit fun, (laughs) just a little bit. Um, yeah. So last week I talked about this, the story that has really, I've blown up on social media. I guess you could say it's definitely gone viral in every sense of the word um, of this wonderful young woman from California um, who had dealt with some just really disgusting medical weight stigma, medical malpractice. And I actually got some, um, I got a listener letter, I guess I'll call it, (laughs) Um, making a really good point about that episode that I really wanted to share before we get into this week's episode, because I do think that this listener's points and shout out, hey, Katie, um, are really important to note here. And the first part of that comment was that there are like kind of like different dimensions that are, are going on in this story of privilege. And it's important to remember that, you know, yes, we think about fat phobia in terms of folks in straight size bodies don't experience it. Folks in fat bodies do experience it. But the severity of that fat phobia varies depending on how large that person is. And had the young woman who was the subject of the story, I'm not putting her name out there just because like, I, I don't know her personally. I haven't had her permission to, to talk about this. Um, had she been in a larger body, this could have been so much worse. And it, you know, it could have been severe to the point where she stopped seeking treatment altogether. Um, so that's really one point to keep in mind here that, you know, not not to in any way um, minimize her experience, but keeping in mind that there's this spectrum involved here in terms of severity of the fat phobia, the discrimination, the weight stigma that people experience. And the other part of this listener comment, the other dimension that I think is important for us to acknowledge is the fact that this young woman is white and has access to medical care, has access to the networks that she needs in order to access specialists. And again, had she been a person of color, had she been in an area with less access to medical care, again, this story could have had a very different, even worse outcome. Um, 
and again, not to minimize this story in any way, shape or form, it is friggin' egregious. Um, but it's important to kind of put all of those things into perspective and keep in mind that if you are horrified by that particular story, there are stories out there that are a million times worse. So it's really, I think, just important to kind of put that into perspective. If you think this is bad, there are people out there who have experienced it in, in so much worse ways. And that's not an exaggeration in any way, shape or form. So I wanted to share that listener commentary with you all um, pertaining to last week's episode. And I think that they're really great points. And Katie, thank you for, for sharing those points with me. I do think that those are important things to keep in mind um, and really just kind of allude to just the, the depth of this problem, the severity of this problem, um, knowing that this is really just the tip of the iceberg. Um, so thank you for writing that in. So for this week, I'm going to talk I guess it's a, a somewhat related topic here. Um, and that is, I really want to talk about what happens when you post something anti-fat phobia or something body positive on social media and the unique response that you get for that. So I think this is really important to discuss because it really, it, it's, it's symptomatic of this like power dynamic that we have going on when it comes to fat phobia and diet culture. And I don't see this happening in other realms. And I really do think that this is like a very specific brand of vitriol that comes out from people in response to these types of posts. So I want to use a really specific example here. And I chose this example because it's pretty freaking innocuous. And I couldn't believe that it like upset people so much. So the example is, so, um, last week, again, on my, my nutrition Instagram, um, I, I created a reel, right? Cause those are the things you do now. And basically the, the gist of it was, you know, the title was what we think our body weight is. And what we think it is, is calories in versus calories out. And then the next part of it was what body weight actually is influenced by. And I listed out all of the things, well, not all of the things, but a lot of the things like environment, socioeconomic status, genetics, habits, you know, pre-existing conditions, all kinds of things. Really simple, really uh, fact-based, really scientifically based, and not really controversial. <laughs> I mean, at least it shouldn't be. And within like a minute of that going up, um, immediately the trolls started coming in and there's a specific tone that these types of trolls take. Like they are just egregiously offended and friggin' furious about it. And the first thing that they always want to do is insult your intelligence and accuse you of being anti-science. And, you know, for this particular circumstance here, I actually, you know, it captioned it and explained a little in further in depth, explaining that, you know, what goes into body weight isn't as simple as we think it is. There are all of these other factors that play a role. Um, and obviously none of these commenters uh, are capable of reading a caption. Um, but 
basically that's, you know, their response was, oh, really? Then what if you didn't eat? One of them, this was actually an answer. What if you uh, just didn't eat anything ever and exercised all the time? Then would you still not lose weight? And of course, my response was, obviously, there are limits to everything. <laughs> and this is the most absurd example you could have possibly given. Um, there was another response that started with, yeah, brah, and then didn't make any sense after that. So I just didn't respond to that one at all. And then there was another one basically saying, you know, oh, yeah, well, then what role do habits play? And again, referred them to the caption that they did not read. Um, but I wanted to use this example because this is not like a controversial post that I created and it still triggered these people enough that they had to come on with their condescending comments, acting like they know better. And for folks who are posting things that are more social justice oriented, for folks that are posting things that are more blatantly anti-fat phobic, the responses are so, so much worse. And God forbid you share a photo of anything other than a straight sized body and they will crawl out of the woodwork with the nastiest, most venomous comments you have ever seen in your life. And I've noticed a couple commonalities about these comments. So this might, this might start to get a little bit rambly. Um, stay with me. I'm not trying to be. I didn't pre-write this. And I, I just kind of want to let it flow because there's a, a lot going on here, a lot to unpack. So I want you to unpack it with me. Um, so the first thing that I've noticed about a lot of these comments is they're mostly men. Mostly men making these comments, which I think kind of plays into that policing of female bodies that not again, hashtag not all men, right? What stupid thing that is, but obviously not all men are guilty of, but this, this many, many men feel that they are entitled to police women's bodies. And I think that that is part of what is going on with these kinds of vitriolic comments, particularly in response to people posting pictures of larger bodies. It's also kind of just like policing women's bodies is part of the power dynamic, policing the conversation around body weight is also part of this power dynamic as well, right? They need to feel more than, and in order to do that, they need to less than these non-straight size bodies. And they need to control the conversation so that that conversation stays focused on those types of bodies not being okay not being acceptable, at worst, being insulting just by their very existence. So I think that that is one part of the dynamic that really fuels these types of comments and gets people so angry. And that's one of the things that is another commonality that I see in these comments, the anger and the aggression and the outrage in the tone of these comments is such that you would think that I specifically or anybody like specifically called out a person by name and insulted their mother. That is the type of tone that these comments come with. Like something personal just happened when obviously it wasn't personal at all. Somebody was posting a, 
you know, an Instagram post, putting it out there on the internet, hoping that it was helpful to someone. And instead, it's mortally wounding <laughs> the egos are, or the morals of these people that feel compelled to comment. So that's really an, another really interesting commonality that a lot of these types of comments um, have. So mostly men, deeply wounded um, is another commonality. And then what I also often see, and you know, this is from my perspective as somebody who posts a lot, posts a lot, um, you know, from the nutrition science perspective, um, just by virtue of what I do. They're all almost always people who have zero, like big, big zero empty void training in nutrition and fitness who comment as though they're an authority on the topic. Like they friggin' know. And I think this is like, this is based, it's main, it's mansplaining, right? Well, actually, when in fact, they don't actually have anything to go off of other than their male ego. So I, I think that that's part of it. Um, but again, it's like this interesting assumption that just because like you read an article on, you know, the internet or like you watched a season of The Biggest Loser or something like that, you think you know what you're talking about and you can call out somebody who has actually studied the subject on their knowledge. And I've gotten this, um, you know, somebody saying something like, you know, being fat is automatically unhealthy. And I am, what did, what did they say? Oh, I'm not going to, basically telling me that, you know, I'm just willingly ignoring science to say otherwise, when in fact, this person knows nothing about science and um, <laughs> is actually ignoring science themselves, ironically enough. Um, so that's another thing that I see happening very frequently is these, these mansplainers um, who think that they are an authority on the matter when in fact they have zero authority whatsoever. Um, now, is that to say that there's never women doing this? Absolutely not. Women are guilty of it as well. Um, and I think that there's a very special brand of vitriol that comes with women's comments on this as well. Um, there's something particularly insidious, I think, about women policing other women's bodies. And there's definitely a uniqueness to that. That is not something that I have personally experienced, and I'm grateful for that, and that is my privilege, but I have seen it on other people's pages. And so I can't speak to it at any length here, but I will say that there is something particularly nasty and particularly egregious about the women's comments on other women's bodies going on here. So those are some of the, the very common things that I have noticed about these comments. And I don't think that you really see it much in other areas. Now, that's a gross overgeneralization. Um, you know, I think if you're posting other things on social justice that should not be controversial, but for some reason are, for example, if, you know, post on like Black Lives Matter, right? you will get comments with that same amount of vitriol that, you know, you're basically as though you are taking away somebody's rights, right? As though you went out and insulted their mother publicly, right? 
that's something that you will get in other areas. But I'm not sure that you get the same mansplaining or uh, the same look at me asserting myself as an authority when in fact I know friggin' squat. <laughs> um, and I do think that, yeah, I, I think that there are just some really unique dimensions to the type of vitriol that comes out when you post these types of things on social media. And there is intent behind it. And it might not be something that these people are consciously thinking of. You know, they might not say, I need to put an end to this and, you know, put their comment out there. But the intent is to silence that conversation. The intent is to shame that poster and to not posting again in order to maintain the status quo, in order to silence anybody who is challenging it. Because to challenge that status quo challenges that person's stature within the schematic of our society. You know, if women are out there saying, you know, this is the way my body is shaped and I'm proud of it and it's beautiful, right? <clears throat> That's something that is within certain interests to prevent from happening, right? So there's definitely this agenda behind these types of comments, right? Make the poster feel stupid. Make them second guess their knowledge. Make them afraid to post again. And some of these comments are absolutely aggressive and threatening enough to make somebody fearful of posting again. And that is by design. That is 110% by design. So I think it's important to note that getting out there, you know, and saying, you know, fat phobia is wrong, getting out there and correcting the facts about weight and weight stigma doesn't come without this backlash. And I don't want to say it doesn't come without risks, um, you know, but it's, it's not this like very simple, innocuous conversation. It is very much controversial. Um, it shouldn't be, but it is. And I don't know that enough people understand just kind of how nasty and horrible these conversations can get when it comes to that. And that really continue, you know, feeds into and is also fed by these real life instances of fat phobia and weight stigma, just like the one that I talked about last week on the show. So I also wanted to touch briefly on responding to that type of commentary. And caveat, or I don't know, maybe not the word, disclaimer, we'll say disclaimer. I'm bad at words today. Um, I'm not an expert on this and I'm new to this. Um, so, and that, again, I'm operating from a position of privilege where I do not deal with the worst of these comments and I'm relatively new to having to deal with these types of comments. Um, so view this through that lens of, I don't know everything. And I haven't experienced everything. So I'm going to talk very generally and um, share some of the strategies that I have seen out there as well. So <clears throat> I think 
the way that anyone chooses to respond to these types of comments is going to vary from person to person. And there's obviously a number of different factors that you need to take into account before you decide on how you are going to respond, if at all. The first one obviously being your safety, right? Um, first and foremost, is this something that needs to be reported? Is this something that needs to be reported to somebody other than the Instagram police because you know they don't do jack shit? Um, will this escalate if I continue to engage with this person? How much more of my information is this person able to locate online if they wanted to? So I think that's the first consideration that really needs to be made before you do anything. The second is, is it worth your time and energy and effort? And I think that really, I do think this is the second most important because we all need to decide how are we protecting ourselves when it comes to our boundaries with our energy, when it comes to our mental and emotional well-being and those kinds of things, dealing with this kind of shit is taxing, like three underlines taxing. And it's up to each of us to decide how we want to prioritize and allocate our energy, our mental resources, our emotional resources. And so I think that's really the second consideration that needs to be made is, is it even worth responding to this? Like I said before, the yeah, bra comment that made no sense. I was like, I'm not even, no. <laughs> like, if I have to decode the goddamn comment, I'm not going to respond to it, number one. Number two, this is not going to go anywhere, right? That being said, there's also the consideration of, is it worth trying to educate? And I do think that on some level, there is some responsibility to educate those that are ignorant and are open to being educated. On the other hand, there is an individual responsibility to educate oneself. And we cannot keep going to others to educate us when we have our own work to do. So there's that consideration to make. And then there's also, you know, is this person even open to being educated? Are they willfully ignorant or do they just not know what they don't know? So there's that as well. And there's also a lot to be said for the fact that, you know, your time is valuable. Is it worth spending that time trying to educate somebody? Have you monetized your time in regards to that education? If so, don't give that shit out for free. So there's that <laughs> as well. And then just again, you know, kind of gauging the type of commenter, right? Is this just a troll who just does not give a flying fart in space what you say back to them? And you can tell this by going to the profile. Do they just set up a shadow profile? Because I see this a lot. They'll have no followers, nobody they're following, no posts, no profile picture. They're just too cowardly to comment as themselves. So they create this fake profile because they just have to get their trolling out of their system because they've got some other moral defect that they just can't deal with. So they have to do this. So if it's a fake profile, screw it. Don't bother. It's not, they're not worth it. Um, 
you know, looking at their profile, do they have a ton of other vitriolic crap posted? All right, then you're probably not going to be able to educate them. Don't bother. So there's a lot of considerations to be made before you decide your course of action. And it also depends on your personality type, right? I mean, I don't like confrontation in any way, shape, or form. I'm the worst Leo on the planet. Let me tell you, I do not have any of those leadership skills. <laughs> so, you know, for me, there's always this intense anxiety that comes along with responding to somebody and waiting for their response. Um, and so I have to kind of wait, like, all right, is this worth the heart palpitations this time? <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and then also keeping in mind, you know, you have those tools available to you, report and block as well. And those are super, super important. So blocking and reporting. And then I think also being aware of your online support system is also really important. That meaning, you know, do you have people who are going to back you up should that need arise in the comments? Um, do you have people who are willing to also report a user if they get abusive, right? And just aside here, don't hold your breath for Instagram doing much about it because they have a history of not giving a crap about people um, being abusive, particularly when it comes to women's bodies and larger bodies. Um, and that's a whole other situation with shadow banning and that kind of thing. So huh, don't hold your breath there, but those are tools that you can utilize and you can get other people to back you up by also utilizing those tools available to you. Um, so it's, there's, it's, it's, it's not a cut and dry thing here. I can't tell you, you know, respond this way. This is the right way. It depends on you and it depends on the situation. And I do think that, you know, if you're not somebody who is out there actively posting about this types of, you know, these, this type of material, um, but you follow people who are, you are supportive. It's just not, it's not your brand or like your Instagram is like, you know, where you post pictures of like your coffee, right? Um, you know, if you see these types of conversations happening in the comments, there's also that question of, do you want to step in? Do you see a need for to, for somebody to be backed up, um, in those comments? And, you know, if so, having those same considerations about whether or not you should or should not do that. Um, but having listened to this episode, keep an eye out for this kind of stuff happening now. And I think you'll notice that there is a really um, unique character that these types of conversations, these types of comments have. And it's, I think it's one of those things like once you see it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> um, and you're going to, you're going to notice it more and more. So keep an eye out and just take note of how often this happens and just the, the types of comments that these types of posts attract. Um, if anything, it'll be educational <laughs> if, if nothing else, but um, yeah, I just think it's really important to note what goes on in these conversations and what significance that kind of activity has for the power dynamic for individual people's lives for the diet industry. It's, 
it's not simple and it's not going away. <laughs> so we're, you know, this, this is a long haul. This is a long haul thing. We're trying to change power structures. We're trying to change societal conversations and thought patterns. And there's going to be resistance to that. And um, I just think it's really disgusting the way that it often comes out when it comes to these types of topics. Okay, so it is time for our Myths Busted segment. I've actually taken a couple weeks off from this segment, and so now I am back at it. And I'm busting a big one this week. This is low-carb diets. So there's a lot of myths within this big package. So I'm going to kind of walk through each of those and give you the real straight-up facts that you need to know about low-carbohydrate diets. So... The first myth that I want to focus on is that low-carb diets are super effective for weight loss. False. Humongous myth. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why. So the first thing that people who are fans of low-carb diets rave about is the fact that they lose a lot of weight very quickly, at least at the very beginning of that diet. That is not actual weight loss. What actually is happening, right? So when you go on a low carb diet, you are depriving your body of carbohydrates, which is your body's preferred source of fuel and energy. When we consume carbohydrates, the ones that we don't readily use, we store for later use in the form of glycogen in our bodies. And as we need more energy, our body releases that glycogen, turns it into glucose, and we use it for energy. When you stop consuming enough carbohydrate in your diet, your body has to tap into those glycogen reserves and start utilizing them. Here's the kicker though. Here's the thing. With each single gram of glycogen stored in our bodies, we also store about three grams of water with that glycogen. So for each gram of glycogen that gets burned, because you are in a carbohydrate deficit, you're also losing three grams of water, right? So the majority of the weight that is lost at the beginning of a low carbohydrate diet is actually water weight. And once you begin consuming carbohydrates again, you're going to gain that weight back just as quickly as you lost it. So that is not actual true weight loss and that is not effective lasting weight loss either, right? So there's part one of that myth busted, okay? Number two, this other theory behind low-carb diets is that when we eat carbohydrates, it makes our bodies release insulin, and in releasing insulin, it makes us store fat. No, just no. <laughs> this is just wrong. So yes, our bodies do release insulin when we consume carbohydrates, but Insulin does not make us fat. Insulin is actually one of our satiety hormones. So it's kind of silly that it ever got this uh, association to begin with. Um, but this is just complete misinformation about how our bodies work. The production of insulin does not make us fatter. It does not make us store fat. So eliminating carbohydrates in order to reduce insulin production 
to avoid gaining weight is just not a thing. It's just, sorry, it's not. And another part of this myth is that the elimination of carbs on its own will lead to late wa- weight loss, <laughs> late loss, weight loss. Not true. Absolutely not true. Yes, you will get that initial change in the scale, we'll call it, because it's not true weight loss at the beginning of a low-carb diet because of that water loss. But cutting carbohydrates alone is not going to contribute to any lasting legitimate weight loss unless you're creating an energy deficit, meaning you are also cutting your calorie intake as well. So there's another myth busted when it comes to low-carbohydrate diets. Carbohydrates are not the cause of weight gain, and therefore eliminating them will not result in weight loss in and of itself. Boom. Done. (laughs) So here's another myth that also plays a role in the weight loss aspect of low-carbohydrate diets. And that myth is that carbohydrates are inflammatory and having excess inflammation can cause us to either gain weight or hold on to weight. And this is just an outright overgeneralization and misinformation, right? Carbohydrates are not straight up and they're not straight up inflammatory. They're just not. Carbs do not cause inflammation. Do ultra car do ultra processed prepackaged carbohydrates cause inflammation? Possibly, right? Eating, you know, McDonald's and eating, you know, little Debbie snacks and things like that. Yeah, may, those might cause inflammation in your body, but eating bread, eating potato, eating rice, these kinds of things are not going to cause inflammation in your body and they're not going that is not going to cause you to gain weight. So again, just outright misinformation put out there by the low carb diet factory machine thing, whatever you want to call it. Um the next part that I want to address about low-carb diets is actually um, the safety of them. And proponents of low-carb diets will say that keeping your body in ketosis for long periods of of time is perfectly safe. And the fact of the matter is that is friggin' false. So what is ketosis? If you're not familiar with what ketosis is, let me explain it a little bit here. So as I mentioned earlier, Our bodies prefer to burn carbohydrates for energy. That is how we are built. That is how we are, we have evolved. We are made to utilize carbohydrates for energy. When we do not have sufficient carbohydrates for energy, our body is forced to turn to fat as an energy source, which it does not like to do. And it does not do as efficiently as it does carbohydrates. So what has to happen is it has to take our fat stores convert the fat into ketone bodies, and then those ketone bodies can be used as an energy source. This is not normal. It is not what our body likes to do. It's more of a survival mechanism in order to keep our bodies functioning when we do not have sufficient carbohydrates, when we do not have sufficient energy available to us. There is no reason for our bodies to be in ketosis for extended periods of time other than starvation and our bodies are not meant or made to be in ketosis for extended periods of time. And there are 
health ramifications that come from depriving our body of carbohydrates for any significant period of time. So we talk about needing carbohydrates for energy. And I think that a lot of us, when we think about energy needs, we think about like moving our bodies around, like getting up in the morning, going to work, just like doing our human life. But that is just a very small part of our body's energy needs. The rest of our body's energy needs are all of the things that our body does that we don't even think about during the day to keep us alive, right? Keeping our heart pumping, our blood flowing, the hormones being released that need to be released when they need to be released in the right amounts, flushing things out, processing things, all of these things that are going on to keep us alive and keep us healthy require energy. And when we do not have sufficient carbohydrates for those processes, bad things happen, period, the end. So some of the negative impacts that studies have shown associated with low carbohydrate diets, and this these are like good freaking studies. These are peer reviewed. These are tested. These are reputable studies. These studies have found that low carbohydrate diets when adhered to over time, it doesn't have to be a long period of time either, depending on which of these symptoms we're talking about here, can lead to decreased thyroid output. So your thyroid gland is a very important gland that produces hormones that play important roles throughout our body. So number one, low carbohydrate diets decrease your thyroid output. Low carbohydrate diets also increase your cortisol levels. Cortisol is your stress hormone. Having high cortisol levels for long periods of time is very bad for us. Low carbohydrate diets also decrease your testosterone levels. This is important for everybody. Ladies, we have testosterone in our bodies as well. And if you are somebody who works out and is looking to increase your muscle, who's looking to get stronger, to perform better at whatever athletic feats you're pursuing, you do not want to be on a low-carb diet and be decreasing your testosterone levels because it's going to be counterproductive. Low-carbohydrate diets are also associated with impaired mood and cognitive function. You hear people talking about being in like a a haze when they're on a low-carb diet. That's why we need carbohydrates for our brains to function properly. It can also result in muscle catabolism or muscle loss, right? This goes along with that decreased testosterone. Low-carbohydrate diets can also result in decreased immune system function, which nobody wants. Who wants to be sick all of the time? Nobody. And low-carbohydrate diets are particularly concerning for women because it appears, based on the scientific evidence that we have from these studies on low-carbohydrate diets, women are particularly susceptible to hormone disruption because of low-carbohydrate diets. And this can lead to a number of different health issues. So ladies in particular, stay away from the ketogenic diet. Drop the Atkins bar burn the South Beach diet book. You should not be adhering to to low-carb diets in the long term. The final myth that I want to discuss when it comes to low-carbohydrate diets is that they are effective 
for weight loss in the long term. And this is not true. Number one, they're not sustainable. It is not sustainable for us to avoid carbohydrates for long periods of time. Our, we do not respond well to deprivation as human beings, and our bodies have needs. And if we're ignoring those needs, we got problems. So first thing, we can't do this for really long periods of time. We can't do them long enough for us to lose large amounts of weight. Number two. And what studies have shown is that over the course of time, there is no difference in weight loss results between low carbohydrate diets and other diets out there, whether it's reduced calorie or what have you. Low carbohydrate diets are just as ineffective at long-term weight loss as every other diet on the market out there. So myths busted, low carbohydrate diets are basically just one big myth and I just busted them for you. You're, you're welcome. Go have some carbohydrates, go make some toast. Have two slices of toast. It's okay to do that. That is it for this week's episode of the Well and Simple Podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check back in for new episodes each Wednesday. I'm really excited to be having some special guests coming up very soon. We're going to be talking about sleep. We're going to be talking about um, intuitive eating and disordered eating. And there's just going to be some really great content coming out with some fantastic guests. So don't miss out. As always, if you have thoughts, questions, concerns, stories that you want to share, please feel free to email well and simple podcast at gmail.com. And please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcasting platforms to help this show grow. Thank you so much.